these days, it has to be said, uh, Tim Flannery is getting a bit long in the tooth. But when he was a, a teeny bopper, he came across a giant fossilised tooth in a creek in Western Victoria, almost the size of his hand. This uh, tooth has kept him interested in natural history for live for decades, and it's a passion that his daughter Emma has inherited. They set out on a quest to uncover the true story and secrets of the largest predator the Earth has ever seen. And Tim joins me now. Take me back to that day hunting for fossils in the creek. How did this fascination with the Paleolithic era begin for you, Tim? Oh, gee, you know, I've always been interested in dinosaurs. I remember my mum saying she always had to buy the wheat bix packet with the plastic dinosaurs in it for me. Um, and I just it's just a fascination. I guess a lot of kids have got it, but it's just never left me. And um, I've always looked for fossils. And uh, I remember that day as clear as a bell in Western Victoria. It was sunny. The big flood had been through the creek. I was walking. I was about 15 years old. And I just saw this shape, you know, and uh, went down, bent over and picked it up and I couldn't believe it. It was like a dream. You know, this thing I'd heard about, this giant shark. That Isn't it funny how often great discoveries are entirely accidental, <laughs> fortuitous, you know, one in a million chance? Oh, yeah, at least one in a million. Um, yeah, the chances of me finding that tooth were just so remote. And there, were, there I was in farmland, Philip. Can you imagine walking through that lovely Western District farmland and finding a fossil that fell to the floor of an ancient ocean 10 million years ago? It's clear Evidence for God, isn't it? <laughs> well, if God has a sense of humour and <laughs> a sense of the quirky, yes. How would the tooth have ended up there? What did the, you know, I know you're not an old enough of this personally, but what did Western Victoria look like 10 million years ago? Well, back then, uh, it was just the edge of the Southern Ocean. Um, the, probably the shoreline was somewhere near where Hamilton is today. And so it was just offshore. Um, it was must have been a tremendously productive ocean, Philip. We find evidence of giant marine shells and whales and sharks and all sorts of things there. But as you know, because you've spent some time down there, I believe, you know, that, that area is tremendously volcanic. And, uh, of course, it rose up over 10 million years out of the ocean and became dry land. I've, I've neglected to name this creature. What, uh, what, how, what's he christened? It's the Megalodon shark the large-toothed shark, and it was named by Alexander Agassiz back in the 1830s. In fact, some early specimens were collected by Thomas Jefferson, believe it or not. You're kidding, No, they're still in the museum in uh, Philadelphia. How big is this, or was this shark? Look, it it weighed about 60 tonnes are the best estimates we have. Just to put that in perspective, you know, the biggest great whites we know about weigh just over two tonnes. So this animal is 60 tonnes versus two. It's hard to imagine. If you saw the dorsal fin approaching, you'd have reason for concern. If it was an adult, you might be too small, a morsel to worry about. (laughs) I suspect a juvenile, yes, perhaps. Okay, so the force of its bite was three times that of a T-Rex. Yeah, yeah. It's It's the most powerful bite known in animal history. And why it needed such a powerful bite is a, it's a great question. I mean, its teeth, individual teeth, are something like 18 centimetres long and, you know, they can weigh over a kilogram. 
So there are enormous things, and whatever it was eating, it needed to kill very decisively. Clearly. Well, Tim, what was it eating? Do we know what it was hunting? Not well, your particular shark, yeah. but those in general. Look, it's a great question, and um, there's some indications, Philip. We, we've, I myself have found fossilized whale bones with chomp marks on it from this this giant shark, but we know from the what's called the nitrogen isotopes that are preserved in its fossilized teeth that it couldn't have existed on whales alone. It was higher up the food pyramid and people think it may have been eating other sharks, but it's very hard to prove because sharks are cartilaginous. They don't have a skeleton that preserves those uh, bite marks. On behalf of uh, people who enjoy swimming, I have to ask you this. It is extinct. And when did that joyous event occur? Well, that was probably a joyous event. I, I miss it, Philip. I Look, it, I'm it, speaking for people who go swimming at Bondi. Oh, I know, but, you know, frisson of danger. <laughs> but anyway, um, look, it, it probably went extinct between about three and four million years ago. But as with so much about this animal, Philip, we just don't know the precise details. It does have some distant linkage, does it not, to the fabled Greenland shark? It does. It's it's in a different family of sharks, but you know the Greenland shark is a six metre long predator. It's probably eaten more people than almost any other shark species, even though it's unknown. All of them, you know, dead sailors who float to the bottom of the. And it lives oceans. a remarkably long time, does it not? Nearly five hundred years. Wow. And over that time, Philip, you'll see them often swimming with these two great tendrils hanging out of their eyeballs, and they're parasitic worms that eat the eyes of these sharks. In the I haven't actually the, seen it personally, you know. but thank you for the <laughs> no. vivid description. Now, the Earth has had its share of megafauna. In fact, the first time I read you was on that the issue of megafauna and indeed let the record show that I don't only read all your books, but I memorise them <laughs> from cover to cover. So the Earth has had its share of megafauna, but these sharks are surrounded by mystery. How much do we know and uh, what challenges are there in finding them, these fossils? Look, for, for God, the best part of you know, 200 years since this shark was discovered, um, it's only been known from its teeth. It was very recently people found some vertebrae and analysed them, just over the COVID period, actually. And those vertebrae revealed a very interesting story. Uh, the set of vertebrae were found in Belgium. They're about 10 million years old. And they are banded almost like tree rings. So we know that the shark had a seasonal growth pattern. And we could use that growth pattern to determine that this nine-metre-long shark was about 46 years old. Now, some of the teeth have been found on Indigenous land, not only here but abroad. Uh, tell me what we know about how ancient people treated the specimens. Well, look, I've got a sense, Philip, that these shark's teeth may have given rise to the first tools that people ever made. The first tools are hand axes that are remarkably shark-tooth-like in shape. They date back three and a half million years. Um, and ever since then, you know, as far as we can tell, people have been using fossil shark's teeth as axes. I've found them in Victoria. They're, uh, you know, found around the world in, on the island of Flores. Even the Hobbit may have been using these these um, teeth as tools. So they're, they're certainly inspirational as a, as a fine cutting edge tool. You know, it's even got a hand grip on the, the gum line there. So, 
Yeah, I, th- I think they've been using them for a very long time. And the medieval Maltese uh, thought they had magic properties. Well, they did. And the, the Knights of Malta made these tremendously ornate, so almost chandeliers of fossil shark's teeth. And when you went to a feast there, not that the Grand Master was untrustworthy or anything, but you would, just to check there wasn't any poison in your beer, you'd dip a shark's tooth into it. And if the shark's tooth changed colour or started to sweat... Um, you would throw the beer out because it was sure to be poisoned. <laughs> now, some people became obsessed with uh, finding these teeth to, to their detriment. Tell the listener about a jeweller called Vito. Well, Vito was a, a jeweller in Port Royal in North Carolina, and he became totally obsessed with fossil shark's teeth. He was a scuba diver, and he'd dive in the rivers and coastal regions pretty much regardless of the weather. And this all caught up with him when he was about 50. He, um, he'd heard about a very deep hole in, in a riverbed, 40 metres deep. The person who discovered it had been chased out by bull sharks, but Vito wasn't to be put off. And on an appalling day, he went down where the weather was appalling, went diving and um, just never came back up again for a week. When he did turn up, it was in another river system and um, he was his dead body was found with a bag of megalodon teeth tied around the waist. So we don't know whether um, Vito went down into that deep hole and got nitrogen narcosis, which can make you fantasise about all sorts of things, or whether he was perhaps trapped under a log or, or what happened to him, had heart attack possibly. What is it about these apex predators that, uh, well enraptures us for centuries and and what does our fascination say about the human psyche yeah look i i think we 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 bring these monsters back to life in our minds because um they they do something instructive for us you know there's probably nothing worse you can imagine than being eaten alive and the way to avoid that really is to learn about that predator so we, we, we are fascinated with horror. We're fascinated with seeing people attacked, you know, in horror movies and all the rest. Just to, um, I think it's kind of instructional. We have this morbid fascination with it that hopefully yields some lessons. So if we're ever attacked by a monster, we may know how to react. And so we keep them alive in our minds, these monsters, even though they're not in our world. All those Steven Spielbergs come along from time to time, don't they, they with the modified versions called the Jaws franchise. And there's something about sharks, Philip, you know, that they get you when you're trying to relax. There you are on the beach in summer, the year's work's done, you know, you're having a great swim with the family and what turns up but a shark? They're about as welcome as the huntsman on the back of the toilet paper roll, you know, But they are such elegant creatures. They are so perfectly shaped. Well, that's what, you know, 400 million years of evolution will do for you. They are absolutely perfect at doing what they do. Okay, daughter Emma, who I hoped to be sitting in the studio with us because uh, I've never had a a father-daughter collaboration on the program in all these decades, Uh, but she's also no stranger to exploring the prehistoric world for fossils. What was it like working together on the book? Look, the book was fantastic. Emma is a wonderful scientist. She's a a great writer. She has her own series of children's books that she's uh, getting out there. And it was just pure pleasure, Philip, to do it. You know, it's funny, the apple doesn't fall far from a tree in my family. And uh, to have a fellow science writer in my daughter is just pure pleasure. Tim, thanks for coming in and give our best to Emma. I've been talking to Tim and Emma Flannery in her absence about their book, 
The Big Meg, and it's out now. Tim, thanks for shedding some light on uh, this dark part of the ocean before our time. It's been such a pleasure, Philip. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.